0: reenacting that now. Do you want to change that about yourself? Oh, yeah. You know, I have been on vacation for, gosh, it has been, well, at least a week and a half. But I missed you. You know, I had promised that despite the fact that I was doing that IRCAM certification, I would also... I would, I would do a, a podcast because I like to get them done weekly. Sometimes it goes to every other week. Well, I missed a week talk so on it, but I am back and I'm home, and so I've got people scheduled every week. We've got so many great guests, and I am so fortunate for that. There is no doubt about it. What I know to be true is that this is a show where you really can. You can learn something about yourself, you can learn something about your spouse, you can learn something about your relationship. And isn't that what it's all about? Today, hey, today we're going to have Stephen Amman, And he is a licensed clinical social worker. He's a CSAT, which of course means that he's a certified sexual addictions therapist. And he is really a specialist in EMDR, but not only is he a specialist in that, he's developed a protocol um, where by it's called life scan. And it looks at each of the developmental stages, such as trauma, and something he's going to be telling us about: epigenetic trauma, uretero, birth, nonverbal and so on through the client's lifespan. He uses this effective process to help clients deal with trauma, addiction, and other concerns. He has been a proponent of Detour for a long time, which is in the EMDR Addiction Protocol Addressing Triggers and Urges, has helped men and women who suffer from sex addiction to oh, avert, if you will, Unwanted behaviors. So, I mean, can't we all use that? It's important for us to be able to figure out what does it take to decrease urges and cravings. And that's the secret of all this, right? And so I'm just really happy that he is going to be joining us at, I'll um, oh, here in about 10 minutes. And you will be on for about, we keep this show to a little under an hour. So let me talk to you a little bit about what I've been doing because I think it's so important. Um, you know, I have developed that protocol of what a sex addict needs to stay healthy. And basically, if a sex addict is in good recovery, He is attending meetings and then he is also, if you will, he's not just sitting around listening to the other guys. He's contributing. He's contributing in a variety of ways. You know, he's going to as many meetings as he believes it would take to get clean and sober, right? And he is working diligently with a sponsor to be the best person he can be. Um, He is reading the literature for whatever meeting he's attending. And if that's 12-step meetings, then he is going through the 12 steps while he is attending meetings and working with the sponsor. And there are two ways to do that, right? You know that you can have your sponsor, help you with the 12 steps. And I've had buddies, you know, in the, in the program that have worked together to get through the 12 steps. It doesn't have to be a sponsor, but we advise that because it's somebody wiser than you, somebody who has longer recovery than you, helping you with that. And then, it's so important to do that 12-step work. Um, I, I started to say religiously, but I don't mean that. I mean to do it with discipline, to do step after step after step, right? And to really take this process seriously, going through each and every step imaginable. And once somebody has done that, you know, what they have to do is connect with the fellowship, right? You've got to be able to connect with each other so that you know what's expected of you. You know how you can contribute. You know how to ask for help. It's impossible for you to do this on your own. Then those other five steps, that is a Carol the Coach protocol is that you've got to see somebody who specializes in sex addiction. You know, I was working with a man the other day, and he's just really having trouble getting traction. And I said, have you ever thought about medication to manage your urges and cravings? And he's like, medication? What are you talking about? And I talked to him about a derivative of naltrexone and, How for some people, granted, it's maybe only 30%, but for some people, it helps to take the urges and cravings away. Now, sometimes it has side effects, but sometimes it doesn't. And he couldn't have gotten that information from just any old therapist. This is our job to know how to help you. So go to a certified sex addiction therapist, get your butt into a certified sex addiction therapist trained and led psychotherapy group. Group therapy is what Dr. Carnes told me was the most important thing that I could do in terms of being therapeutic with the men that I worked with, okay? Then, You need to pray, meditate, and journal. You have to do a minimum of one of those things. But the truth is, if you do two or three of them, you make your own recovery program much more comprehensible. And when it's more comprehensive, you're always headed in the right direction. Then, You've got to have some accountability tools, guys, and yes, You've got to be able to do some things that you never would have thought you needed, like polygraph tests, like GPSs, like filters, canine, covenant eyes, whatever it takes to slow down your impulses so that you can actually think about, ooh, I've got a polygraph coming up in six weeks. I don't want to make that call. I don't want to click on that clickbait. And then last but not least, you have to understand this addiction. That means that you need to read about it. You need to know that it is a brain disorder. You need to know that it may look like a moral failing because it results in a moral issue. It is not a moral issue. It is brain chemistry. And when you understand more about the brain, you'll be better able to protect yourself from behaviors that just aren't working for you. And that is really, really important. That way you can help protect your brain from so many of the issues that unfortunately um, plague a newcomer. You know, somebody may say, well, it's not that big of a deal if I'm looking at women in yoga pants. Oh, yes, it is. It is a big deal. Well, it's not that big of a deal if I'm gay and I'm watching suggested gay TV. Yes, it is, because it's starting that fantasy in your head going. You know, and that's why you need a sponsor who can really help to break the denial that you naturally go in when you're just working the beginnings of recovery. So very, very important. So those are the 10 tools. You can find them on a website. It's www.sexhealthwithcarolicoach. And go to the resources, scroll down to the end, and find those 10 recovery tools. Now, it's going to automatically convert to a website that um, is about IRCA, the Early Recovery Couples Empathy Model. That's the model I am teaching clinicians and coaches all over the world, how to help partners heal. And that is based on my new book that I thought was coming out in January, then I thought it was February, but has been promised. It is coming out June 1st. And it's going to help couples to help each other heal through this horrible ordeal called compulsive sexual problematic behavior. I mean, it is just, I believe, going to change the trajectory of how couples deal with partner betrayal. That being said, I was so excited today because Stephen is coming on and he's going to be talking about protocols that we've been waiting for for a long time. And believe it or not, this man got involved in this field as a second career. So we're going to find out about his life too. Um, And I'm just really excited when I heard about the work that he's doing because what I know is when you know what, what is available out there to you, there will be something intellectually that that goes on in your brain that says, hmm, maybe I need to look more into that protocol or that procedure. And then emotionally, you're going to say, I am sick of this. I need to make my life easier. And intuitively, you're going to say, you're going to know that something feels right about today's protocol, and you're going to want to find out more about Stephen Amon and his incredible work that he's doing. So... Stephen, welcome to Sex Help with Carol the Coach.
1: Thank you so much for having me on. It's an honor. So Appreciate yeah. all you do for not only our CSAT community, for people's emotional well-being as well, Carol. So thank you for your work.
0: Well, yeah, and you're a visionary. You and I both do EMDR, and we've looked into protocols that work specifically with addiction and with urges and cravings, and you have studied all of that stuff, and now you've come up with a new protocol. So I want you to talk about that, but more than that, I want you to tell our listeners a little bit about your life and how you got into this field.
1: Okay, yeah, I would love to share that. So um, as you said earlier, it was definitely a second, maybe actually a third or fourth career career. <laughs> um, I've tried lots of different things in my life. Um, I've raised and showed horses as a career and managed breeding facilities. I've done youth pastor work. Uh, I owned my own construction company for a while. And so I've done lots of different things. And the thing I enjoyed about each one of those was the relationships that were built. And so when I think it was kind of maybe divine appointment that I kind of stumbled into this field, um, And it has been the most rewarding work that I've ever done in my life. And I always tell my clients that I count it an honor to hear their story. And I think that's what's powerful about my approach to wellness is that people get to share their story in a unique and different way than anything I found out there available.
0: Yeah, and and I know that that is such a big part of what we do is listening to people's stories and then helping them to fill in the blanks to decide what it is they need and what they want out of life. Um, You specifically work with sex and porn addiction, trauma treatment, as well as couples. So so tell us, how do you define trauma?
1: Yeah, so my kids helped me define trauma years ago when I first got into this field and my definition of trauma is any t- every time I don't get what I want a lot of times we think it's what we need that's lacking and you know that can be neglect as a child or things like that but I think even those little times when we make requests and they don't happen I mean even as an adult when I make a request of a friend or my wife and they're not able to meet that that request i feel it in my body and it can then build up those unprocessed moments in time can get stored in our right side of our brain and those can become um, a large file that creates dysfunction in our in our lives and so my kids really helped me. I, I remember the first time it kind of dawned on me, the rule at our house had always been from day one, that if you eat a good, balanced dinner, we have dessert. And, but you're not going to fill up on dessert and not anything that's good for your body. And like one, one night, my kids would be like, hey, can I have dessert? And I'm like, well, you haven't touched your plate. And they're like, oh, okay. And the next night, you might tell them the exact same thing, and they might have a complete meltdown. It wasn't that they needed the dessert It was that they had wanted it and made a request to have it, and it didn't happen. And I think especially when we're little, our brains aren't developed to in a way that can rationalize those big concepts of life. And so that helped me define trauma as every time I don't get what I want. And as I've worked with clients, as I kind of walk them through that scenario, it really resonates with them especially people that come to see me that are like, well, I was never sexually abused or I was never physically beaten. Like, why am I struggling with these things? And so when I define it the way I just did, it really resonates with them. That's like, oh, it's those little times where I didn't get what I wanted or I didn't get my needs met the way I wanted them to be.
0: You know, that's interesting because truly – Most people have heard of little T traumas and big T traumas. And I don't know that a lot of people have been able to see unmet needs as being traumatic. And so you have conceptualized something that you believe then gets stored in the body and in the the mind and needs to be processed, acknowledged, validated, and work through right
1: absolutely exactly it you know and that's why I started using EMDR very early on in my career because it is stored in the body it's not just the brain but it's also stored in the body Um, the book the body keeps the score um, I mean he's the world-leading expert on how emotions get trapped in our body you know and so EMDR really allows me to incorporate body work into my intensive that I've developed. Um, in my own journey, you know, I had done hundreds and hundreds of hours of talk therapy and I knew why I did the things I did. It just didn't help me change the behavior. And once, um, probably back in like 2005, um, I had something happen in my own personal life that I don't know if they were panic attacks, but if not, they were the closest thing to them that I've experienced. And I went to an EMDR therapist who's a mentor of mine, and we did 20 hours of EMDR over 10 days, and it changed my life. Because we got to the body level where my body was able to desensitize that old response when it got triggered or, as I like to say, activated, Um, and so I was able to desensitize that and then through the process of EMDR, rewrite that time frame the way I would have rather shown up, and so... Yeah,
0: and that's called installing a new template. Tell, Tell our listening audience a little bit about what EMDR is, what they would experience if they participated in traditional EMDR
1: yeah yeah absolutely so EMDR is the way I believe our bodies have been hardwired from the beginning to process those unmet requests so when we experience Mm -hmm. something we're going to call it trauma whether it's little t or big T when we experience something that our brain is not able to fully process through it gets stored in the right hemisphere of our brain And at night, when we dream, and we only dream during REM sleep, it's actually like the middle third of our sleep pattern, the rapid eye movement allows our brain to work together both sides through our corpus callosum. And the corpus callosum connects the left and right hemisphere. It's kind of like a little valve that keeps things separate during conscious awake and then at night, that valve is opened up, and those things that get stuck in our right hemisphere are allowed to be pulled over to our left hemisphere, which is what I call our filing cabinet. So the right hemisphere, I refer to that as the old in-basket um, on our desk. If you, like, mm-hmm. so, so when, we, when that in-basket gets full it creates this function. And so with EMDR, we're, open, we're able to open that valve up and we can pull those things from the inbox over and organize them in our filing system. So it gets integrated into the files that are already there. So known and stored information, these new things get integrated into that. And the other thing that EMDR does when we focus on it is we make sure that we get it to the somatic level, so that body sensation level, so that we don't have, that our body doesn't have to react the same way when it experiences something similar in the future going forward. Um, Somatic experiencing is another form of body work, and I incorporate a lot of those techniques into my EMDR to make sure that that body can unlearn the old response and then learn the new response. And in traditional EMDR, you go to a therapist and you focus on those things that you know that happened in your past of times where things didn't go the way you wanted them to. So they might be small T traumas, they might be large T traumas, and you just focus on those individually to clear up the old body response. Now,
0: Well, and it seems like you will, Stephen, that when you're going through EMDR and you are processing that trauma, you do that in such a safe way over and over and over again, not only does it desensitize you to the trauma, but then as you indicated earlier, if you can install a new template and resource yourself in a new way, you change the somatic experience, Right?
1: Yeah, it really builds resiliency in your body. And in our field, we call it our ego strength, you know. It's that mm-hmm. resiliency that we have to be able to handle things in the future in a new, different, and better way. And it's really what EMDR does. As it desensitizes and installs that new way of being, it builds that resiliency so that in the future you could have something happen and your body doesn't respond and take over, so we don't activate our limbic system, so we can stay in our prefrontal cortex and make wise decisions.
0: Yeah, that absolutely, I think, almost is what we do as coaches. I'm You know, I'm a psychotherapist of 42 years, but I'm also a life coach. And we do a lot of envisioning exercises. And through that bilateral stimulation of EMDR, which is really brain work, Yep. We are systematically helping clients to re-experience things, and then those things are linked to other things that unconsciously we may not even have memory about. And so yep. it processes a lot of things at one time. You said you did 20 hours in two weeks?
1: Yeah, 10 days. Yeah.
0: 10 and days. It-
1: it was an unbelievable transformation of how I showed up for my wife, my family, and my clients. Like, it really put me on a path to where I am today. So, and I did that work with Katie O'Shea, and she kind of, she's kind of the one that kind of started this whole thing of like, why are we doing therapy on a weekly basis where we, we bring a client in and we rip the band-aid off. And then if it doesn't get clear, it's like we're trying to patch them back up and then send them back out into the world for a week to try to handle all the things that we had talked about, and then they come back. And to me, um, I believe that it's almost reinforcing that old pathway. If we don't get it completely cleared at the body level, it's really reinforcing the pathway. And so once I had done my work, I came home and told my wife, I'm like, I'm never doing weekly hourly therapy again. Like, I am so passionate yeah. about this. And I'm not saying people don't, won't still need some weekly support going forward, but that's not where my passion lies. And so I have, you know, I have people that fly in from all over the, the U.S. and do work with me, and then I always make sure that they have a therapist back home that they can connect with if they need further
0: work. Okay, and I want to remind our listeners that I am talking to Stephen Amon. Now, am I saying your name properly? It's actually Amon. Amon. And that yeah. is A-M-A-N-N. So A-M-M-A-N-N. And you can reach him specifically by uh, his email, which is Amon. Amon? <laughs> <a> <laughs> yep. Give him Give them your email address.
1: Yeah, it's Ammon Counseling at Gmail And my website is North or NW Idaho dot com. And I'm located in Nampa, Idaho. And hmm. it's for the NWC stands for Northwest Wellness Center.
0: Wow. And so this work changed your life, and it changed how you did work with other people, and that's why people all over the world are wanting to to work with you because certainly that does mean you have to chisel out specific time for them. I mean, it's like you're doing an intensive, an EMDR intensive for a week or two, correct? Yeah,
1: so it's it's about 18 to 20 hours over one week. Um, and with probably 90% of my clients, we get through protocol I've developed, which is called a life scan in that time frame. There's been a handful of clients over the years that will come back and do an additional day or two um, of work just to kind of finish up making it through their entire life. So and the, the life scan protocol that I developed really started out of, My master's level work, when I wrote my thesis, I did it on the epigenetics of sexual addiction. And so I really had a focus on, like, we're not born into this world a blank slate, unfortunately. (laughs) Like, there's such a thing Mm -hmm. as generational trauma where we get some dysfunctional behaviors that can actually be handed down. And in my thesis, I found research that was done down in um, Florida at one of the universities down there where they had taken mice and they had electrified the bottom of the cages. And every time the mice got this scent, they got shocked. So they paired those two stimuli together until the mice would get the scent and go into that hyper-alert state, that fear state. It's a response. Mm-hmm without needing to be shocked anymore. And that's no different than Pavlov's law with ringing the dinner bell in the dog's mouths with water. The same exact thing. But what these researchers did is they said, all right, let's take it a step further. So they said, let's breed the mice. So they did natural and artificial insemination, because there's the debate of nature-nurture, and 100% of their babies were afraid of the scent, and they had never been shocked. Mm-hmm. So they were like, fascinating. So now we have two generations of a passed-down behavior. So then they bred the second-generation mice together, and their babies were afraid of the scent. That is epigenetics. And we've known for 60-plus years that children of alcoholics are predisposed to alcoholism. Not a guarantee, but high probability that they could struggle with alcohol. That's epigenetics. And so when I do the life scan, That's where I start is at that epigenetic level. And I figured out how to tap into the brain because a lot of people may not have a lot of conscious memory. Well, they won't have any conscious memory. It's all memories and stuff that's been handed down from generation to generation. And so I figured out a way with EMDR to tap into that where we can go in and turn off those switches that got turned on and handed down. And that was actually a huge part of my own journey when I did my work was uh, my dad was a Vietnam veteran. Uh, He was stationed on the DMZ. Um, Right after he left to go to Vietnam, my mom found out she was pregnant, so she didn't know when he first took off. And so I can only imagine the amount of anxiety that they were both under. Am I going to make it home? And my mom was probably scared to death. Am I going to be a single parent, you know? And so when I did my own work, when we focused on that epigenetic part, it really released a lot of emotion that had been stored in my body to the point that I don't think I even realized how kind of low-level anxious I was as an adult until it was gone. And I remember sitting in Katie's, Katie's office and I was like, you mean this is what relaxed feels like? Like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> so it was... It was a very healing moment for me, and so that's where I start with every client now, to make sure that we turn off any of those switches that were turned on and handed down from past generations. And I try to always go back three generations. <clears throat> excuse me, three generations.
0: Well, and, and you know, for our listening audience, because I had introduced a little bit of your work, um, I know that this life scan, this protocol that you've developed, looks at each of the developmental stages, you know, for epigenetic trauma, and you start in utero. And I, I remember when I first learned EMDR, they, they talked about the trauma that could occur in utero. And I thought, oh, I believe that. But how does one step into it if, A, they don't have words to describe it, and, B, they don't necessarily have a conscious understanding, and so you're saying that through this protocol, this life scan protocol, clients are able to identify trauma in utero and at birth and before they were verbal, and able to process that with you specifically
1: yeah it it's fascinating. Like, it really goes back to the body holding those memories, you know. And so I will hold them in that time and space, and we don't need conscious memory to pull up those things. It may be a body sensation. It may be a picture. It may be like a little movie clip. And any of those ways will allow us to tap into that. We don't have to have conscious memory of old Traumatic events to reprocess them with EMDR, which is one of the things I love about EMDR. It's like whatever comes up, I just trust that that's what's supposed to come up in that moment to be worked on. And, and so then I walk them through the process of reprocessing that and imagining how it should have been.
0: Okay, and so you you began to tell us what it would look like for a client to come to the Northwest Center to go through this intensive. First of all, they have to contact you. And you said, again, the website is idahonwc.com. And they can contact you to do an intake so that you both can determine. Yeah. Yeah, we spend, we spend some. Yeah.
1: Go ahead yeah we spend some time on the we spend some time on the phone just to make sure that they're a right fit for the program and then we send paperwork so we have them fill out some paperwork a couple little intake assessment type stuff and then we schedule so it's pretty pretty quick and simple
0: got it and so then um, they go through this process. You kind of determine how much time they might need. I would assume that they stay open to, um, they stay open to even being available a couple more days if other things come up. Am yep. I right? Yep. Okay.
1: Yep. So what I usually uh, try to do is schedule a three-day because I usually do it in three days. And what I'll do is I'll schedule on a Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And then I try to always leave Thursday open and sometimes Friday, depending upon their personal story, to have those days available if they do need to stay over for a couple more days. And I actually just worked with a gal that flew up from San Diego, and we used almost five days, about four and a half days, to get all of her work finished. Um, And she'd been through multiple inpatient treatment centers And she would relapse the minute she got out, and her behaviors were escalating. They were getting dangerous. And she said, she's like, this feels like the first time in my life where I've been able to let go of all of the trauma, which was very rewarding to hear.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so... This is just fascinating. And for people that have done some really good, intense work and don't seem to have been able to find the traction to make some of the changes, this may be exactly what they need to take their life to the next level. Yeah. I'm, I'm wondering, you know, obviously, you're a master's level. Well, you've gotten your licensed clinical social work degree, And that was graduate, You're an LCSW? Yep. And you graduated from Northwest Nazarene University, so I'm assuming that that also was a university that had a lot of spiritual components to their work. Am I right? Yeah,
1: it did have spiritual components. It was very open um, to whatever that meant to the individual, which I appreciate. Uh Uh-huh you know, that they weren't really um, forcing their view, but they were leaving it open to each student to figure out what that meant for them. So, and I do think spirituality is an important part. You know, I think being healthy emotionally, spiritually, physically, and nutritionally are all very important. It's kind of the four-legged stool that all of those areas Need to be addressed for really good wellness, and so my uh, one of the other things at our clinic, my wife is a nutri- nutritional health coach, so we have some clients that come in and they're like, "Hey, I would like to, you know, kind of work on, you know, maybe creating a better nutritional lifestyle," and so we've got resources for that as well.
0: Mm, unbelievable. So those are some of the other services that you offer. Now, I'm interested in one other thing that may not have anything to do with the MDR. So if you want to put it off um, till the end, that's fine. But I know that you said you also work with couples therapy and trauma treatment as well as couples work. And, you know, I have developed this ERCOM, which is the Early Recovery Couples Empathy Model, where I teach couples... How to practice relational skills of empathy, reflective listening, just some of the major skills they need to get down yeah. to the primary um, issues in their life. Tell me how do you work with couples, especially yeah, couples so, that have background
1: Yeah, so this this was total accident um, two years ago, as well, it's probably been almost three years ago now. Um, we have a we have a therapist here in the valley that refers people to me all the time that need to work on their trauma and good friends of his from out of state were on the verge of divorce and he told them you have to come and see Stephen before you file at least do that for me and i'm like thanks don't put any pressure on me you know but they ended up coming down and i've got a colleague that i've trained and mentored in emdr and my life scan, who's very talented at it. It's not his passion, but he does it so that he can do couples therapy. And so I talked to, his name's Barry Magera. And so I talked to Barry and I said, Hey, Barry, I said, this couple's coming down. They're going to be here all week anyway. So why don't we do the three days of EMDR with each of them? So we did the life scan, both of them. I worked with the wife and he worked with the husband And then I said, why don't you spend a couple days doing couples therapy, and let's see if we can't work on maybe mending some of the the betrayal. And he is an EFT therapist, and he is gifted at it. I mean, he is phenomenal. And so when they came in, we met with them on a Sunday afternoon just to kind of you know, walk them through the process of what it was going to look like that week. And I asked both of them, I said, what is your goal this week? And the husband um, gave kind of a very, what I call, light answer, like just be a better dad and a better husband, you know, better in my job, that sort of thing. And I looked at the wife and I said, what is your goal this week? And she held her fingers up really close together, her thumb and her index finger, and she said, I want this much hope because she's like, I have zero hope for this relationship. In fact, I'm done with this. And so on Friday, um, we actually, Barry's wife came to pick him up for lunch, and she actually saw them making out in the parking lot on Friday afternoon. And that was almost three years ago. They're still doing amazing. They've sent probably three or four couples to us and several individuals for the EMDR intensive, and they've just been a great referral source. And they said, just talked to them probably six months ago and they said that that was the best thing that they had ever done for their marriage and so what we found out through that process is when you can spend three days desensitizing all your old wounds all your old resentments tearing down all the walls that have caused problems in the relationship when you get into EFT they can so lean into each other and meet each other where they're at and have empathy and compassion, and Barry said that a day of EFT after EMDR is like a year of weekly sessions. Because he goes, we can move through the first stage of EFT and move into the repair stage immediately. And so, like I say, it was kind of just by accident that we did it. And at the end of that week, Barry's like, I think we just had something fall into our lap here, <laughs> and so. We started doing them, and we've had couples kind of fly in from Hawaii, Atlanta, L.A., Arizona, um, so North Carolina. So it's been it's been fun because when you do the individual, you're sending that person back to the same system, and it can create some issues because they've done a lot of work and they're coming back different in the The system they're going back to, the relationship they're going back to, can be, you know, not sure how to handle the new change. And so when you do it Uh with a couple, the whole system is getting more emotionally healthy. And it just, it increases the success rate.
0: Wow. Okay, I got to tell you, we've got this connected for just about 30 seconds, but is there a way for them to find out about the couple's work on your website, IdahoNWC.com?
1: Yes. If they go to the website, there's actually there's something about the three-day intensive there, and we're just in process of adding the, the couple's retreat onto the website. So that mm-hmm. should be up probably within the next week or two.
0: Wow. All right. So I'm going to encourage people – next week's show and the following to keep checking back with that because I work with so many couples and they are always looking for trauma informed treatment Um, because as I was indicating to our listening audience when a coupleship deals with trauma uh, they oftentimes trigger each other to have more trauma so uh, and I was saying you were a genius, that, you know, you are handling things. Uh, you, you know, you're doing it from a brain science point of view. So, Stephen yeah. Ammon, I am so excited that you are doing this work. Um, one more time, remind people how they can get a hold of you. And I'm sure when they do, they can find out what the cost is and things like that. We're not allowed to talk about that on the air.
1: No problem. Yeah, so you can email me at ammoncounseling at gmail.com, and that's A2Ms, A2Ns. And then the website is idahonwc.com.
0: Beautiful. Stephen, awesome. thank you so much. You thank have you, have been Carol. just um, a wealth of knowledge, and we look forward to hearing more about this are you presenting this at any conferences in the near future?
1: So I'm actually in process of developing a training, um, and I would I need to present for sure at the ITAP Symposium next year.
0: You got it. I'm going to be doing it too next year. So let's let's right. see if we can connect. And um, so much awesome. luck to you. Thank yes, you so absolutely. Much, Carol. You take care. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Bye bye. Bye-bye. Okay. So you know what I'm hoping? I can't wait to listen to the end of the show to see if that was just dead air or if he got to stay on while I was disconnected. Who knows what happened there? I've never been disconnected from a show. I've had my guests disconnect, not me. All right, guys. I want to thank you for listening. And I'm so looking forward to being a regular host. Next week we have Bill Herring who has done a lot of work around defining this condition and why he just feels like you need to look at principles, philosophies, and protocols in being able to define somebody that has compulsive problematic sexual behavior. So as I say at the end of every show, you know what? There will only be one of you at all times. Fearlessly have the courage to be yourself. And we will see you next week. More sex help with Carol the Coach.